Choir and musicians, we always appreciate your ministry and leading us in worship. We do not take that for granted, nor do I say this with regularity, just to fill time. That is from our hearts. Thank you so very much for leading us in worship. And Penny, thank you for being here. Um, Penny has a regular position uh, at another church, and she has taken off at we had asked her if she would come some Sunday and, and play for us. Uh, and she's been kind enough to do that, and we appreciate it more than we can tell you, Penny. Thank you for being here. I do have a question, and that is, why isn't your brother able to play some music like that? Maybe I should ask David. <laughs> the key word there is quit. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks to all of our musicians. David, thank you, brother. This is Mother's Day, and I'm going to borrow something from James Dobson as we begin our service. We want to honor all of our moms who are here today. If you're a mother, would you please stand if you have the energy left? <laughs> please stand. Now, remain standing, okay? What a, what a lovely group. Thank you all. Now just, just, just remain standing. Emily's standing, but she's down the pit over here, and you can't see her. But anyway, she's... All of you are very special to us. But I'd like to pay tribute to some super moms who are here today. And perhaps the best way to identify these super moms is by the process of elimination. Those of you who are standing who forgot to make your bed this morning, please be seated. (laughs) We lost a few there, didn't we? If you left dirty dishes on the sink this morning, please be seated. If you've been angry or even agitated with your children this morning, please be seated. (laughs) Now, question. For those of you left standing, how long have you had this basic problem with honesty? (laughs) We love you. God bless you. God honors motherhood. Think with me for just a moment of a few. Uh, Last Wednesday evening, I I went through a list of 10 or 12 mothers uh, and asked about who their children were. I'm not going to ask about who their children were this morning. I want you to think for just a few moments about some of the wonderful mothers that uh, their story is recorded for us on the pages of sacred scripture. Remember Sarah, a model of faith. Obedience to God and obedience to her husband. Remember Rachel. Rachel is pictured as weeping for her children. Remember Jochebed, the mother of Moses and Miriam, showing an undying and absolutely undaunted love for her children. The love of a mother. Deborah. Judges calls her a mother in Israel, and of course she was that, but she 
was a leader in the nation as well and led the nation to victory, in fact. Remember Ruth? Sweet, gentle spirit who loved and who sacrificed and who was blessed to be the mother of Obed. And let me take this just a little step further. The mother of Obed who bore Jesse, who bore David, who was in the seed, in the line of the Messiah. The Bible exalts motherhood. I hadn't even come to the New Testament. We have Elizabeth in the New Testament, the mother of John the Baptist. And there are other mothers, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We live in a society that uh, doesn't hold motherhood in the place that God holds motherhood. Shame on our society for that. Again, I say God honors motherhood. There's one that I did not mention, and she's the one I want to focus our attention on this morning. Her story is found in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel. I hope that you've brought your Bible to church. If you haven't, there's a pew Bible that's close to you. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Samuel. The particular woman that I'm thinking about and will direct our attention to Her name is Hannah. I'm a little bit torn here, quite frankly. Um, I wasn't sure whether or not to bring this message on Mother's Day or on Father's Day. I have uh, geared it pretty much to mothers. But I want to say to you, and I'll remind us during the message, this could be a message for fathers as well. We meet a man by the name of Elkanah in this passage of Scripture. And he would make a terrific Father's Day message. So I was a little bit torn between should I hold this message to Father's Day or should I do it to Mother's Day? And I chose to do it to Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, because of Hannah. Now, as we come to the book of 1 Samuel, we need to set this in its context just a bit. As Samuel opens... The nation is being governed by judges. The nation is no longer guided by the patriarchs, the great patriarchs whose names we found um, in the book of Genesis, for example. And it is prior to the time when the nation would be ruled by kings like Saul, Samuel, excuse me, Saul, David, Solomon, and others. So we're in this time period between the great patriarchs, and the kings. It is a time of the judges. Uh, People with names like Ehud. Now, you wouldn't remember Ehud. Uh, Let me give you a little clue to this man. I have remembered him from years past as being a left-handed judge. Ehud, the left-handed judge. Uh, He was one of these other men and women like Shamgar, Deborah, great leader, woman, Barak, Gideon, Samson, and the list goes on. But it was a time of confusion for the nation Israel. It was a time of turmoil, a time of spiritual degeneracy, a time when the priesthood was corrupted by vile and evil men. It was a sad hour in the nation Israel's history. The nation was torn. Basically leaderless. 
The Philistines were gaining strength. Israel was impotent. For such an hour, God would raise up a man who would call his people back to God. That man was Samuel. And in order to raise up Samuel, God raised up a very special lady to be his mother. She is, I think, beautiful in every sense of the word. I don't think you could find anything in her life where it wouldn't fit under the heading of this is a beautiful lady. Let's get reacquainted with her, if you please. Her story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll look at it with me. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathiam Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the Ephraimite. Two things about this man stand out to me. One, he was a Levite. That means at least he was in the priestly family. And he was from the hill country of Ephraim. Today, we might read this verse of Scripture and know a little bit about the background and refer to Elkanah as a country preacher. And that wouldn't be far off track, a country preacher. Verse 2 gives us a picture of his family. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Interesting, isn't it? One husband, two wives. In those days, polygamy was part of many of the societies and cultures. But mark this well. God never approved it. The Bible never sanctions this kind of thing. And every single time where this happens and we read about it on the pages of sacred scripture, it results in pain in sorrow and often in judgment. So God never approves this kind of thing, even though at a time it was part of the nation's culture. And in this case, it caused great grief. Hannah. Even so, now I, I want you to hold on to some of that background. We, I, I'm going to come back to it, but I want you to hang on to that. This is the home this woman was in. She was the wife of a polygamist. But I call her a beautiful woman in every sense of the word. I believe she was. In spite of her surroundings, Hannah demonstrates several things that I believe should be in the portrait of any and every godly mother. First of all, Hannah, in spite of her situation, in spite of her circumstances, Hannah had a right husband relationship. Does that sound strange to you? Polygamist? And yet I say she had a right husband relationship when she was one of two wives. How could that be? Well, the answer to that question is Hannah was not responsible to Penina, nor was she responsible for Penina. Hannah was responsible to God for her own relationship with her husband. We live in a day when it's always, it seems to me, he said, she said. And sometimes you can never know the truth. 
Hannah's case was far different in every sense of the word. She cultivated a right sense of relationship with her husband, Elkanah. Now, how did she do that? What was involved in this cultivating a, a right sense, a right relationship with her husband in these circumstances? Two things I'll mention. Hannah shared in the worship of God with her husband. She shared in the worship of God with her husband. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. At this time, Shiloh was the place where God was worshipped. The ark was there and the priests were there. And according to the book of Deuteronomy and according to the book of Exodus, Every male Israelite had to appear, quote-unquote, before the Lord three times every year. Elkanah was doing that. So we observe, first of all, that Hannah was married to a man who worshipped God. He certainly wasn't a perfect man. After all, we've already said and we've already seen in Scripture, he was a polygamist. But the point is, a godly mother can flourish even with an imperfect husband. A godly mother can flourish even with an imperfect husband. If that imperfect husband is committed to worshiping the Lord. By the way, if you're unmarried and looking for a perfect husband, one of my deacons told me he was the last one, so forget that. First aspect of this right husband relationship is to be married to a man who, though not perfect, was a worshiper of the true God. That's basic. May I say here, uh, just in parenthesis, uh, a word to young people. And over 50 years of ministry, I have gotten more pushback on this than any other thing I have ever preached. The Bible says believers are to marry believers. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, in two chapters, makes the point very clear. Unmarried believers are to marry other unmarried believers. That is an unalterable statement from the Scriptures, folks. Now, you can fuss with your preacher if you want to. And I won't bite back at you. I will tell you, however, to read the Word of God. Young person, can you fall in love with somebody who is not a Christian? Answer, yes. Should you marry that person? Answer, no. The Bible makes that clear. It's not your preacher. This is God's infallible and inerrant word that says believers should marry believers. That's God's standard, and it has never changed. Hannah had a believing husband. And I believe that's basic to a right relationship. But there's more. Drop down verse 7, first part of the verse. And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. You got the picture here? He went to worship. That was commanded. Deuteronomy and Exodus. He had to appear before the Lord three times a year. And when he went to worship, she went to worship. They shared in the worship 
of the true God. And that's part of a right husband relationship. But there's more. Verses 4 and 5 of this first chapter. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, notice now, to Hannah, childless, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. A bit of background here would perhaps be helpful. When an Israelite went up to offer sacrifice, part of it was sacrifice, but a part of it was brought home and eaten at a feast. And when they were getting ready to eat, a worthy or a double portion was given to Hannah. Now, I've already read the answer to the question why, but I would ask the question why again. Was it because... Hannah was sickly and anemic? No. No. Was it because she was skinny? She needed more? No. Not the answer either. The custom was to give to the honored guest at the table a double portion. And in the mind of Elkanah, Hannah was the most honored person at his table. And listen to me, folks. He loved her in spite of the absence. And he demonstrated that love in an act of kindness and goodness. He showed her his love. Again, I, said, I say now, as I said earlier, this wouldn't be a bad Father's Day text either. Elkanah loved his wife, and he demonstrated that love. Men, do you love your wife? Do you love your wife? The Bible says husbands love your wives. And Hannah had a right relationship with her husband in spite of the fact that there were two wives in the home and she had no children. Verse 6 gives us a bit of further insight. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. I cannot imagine the insecurity. I cannot imagine how Hannah felt when Penina came along and said whatever she said and did it incessantly, did it constantly. She provoked Hannah. You could almost hear some of the things. And, and, and it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to figure out some of the things that Penina with children might have said to Hannah, who's barren. Penina must have really put it on. Hannah. And Hannah was a lovely, sensitive person. Look at the last part of verse 7. She wept and would not eat. That's a reference to Hannah after Penina had been after her, ridiculing her, no doubt. And when Hannah went to the house of the Lord, she went with a heavy heart. She fasted. She wept. She would not eat. She poured out her heart to the Lord. And then in verse 8, we see Elkanah coming to reassure her and to affirm her. Look at verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? 
Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And then some have suggested that Elkanah shouldn't have asked this question that comes next, but he did. He said, am I not better to you than ten sons? There was such a relationship between Elkanah and Hannah, he knew that her answer to that question would be yes. Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Yes. He knew she would say that. He knew her pain. He knew her hurt. And out of his love, he sought to reassure her. So first, Hannah had a right relationship to her husband. They shared in worship. They shared in love. And as you read through this, there is nowhere in the Bible that I can find any hint of conflict between the two of them. Not any. One thought I had was uh, Hannah could have gone to Elkanah and said, Would you get this woman off my back? She didn't. She didn't. Absolutely no hint of any conflict between the two. May I say to you, shared love of God and shared love for each other, shared love for God and shared love for each other, will go a long way in eliminating conflict. I want to say that again. I know you've heard it, but I want to say it again. Shared love for God and shared love for each other will go a long way toward eliminating conflict at home. There's a second thing in this portrait of a godly mother. Hannah not only had a right husband relationship, but Hannah had a right heavenly relationship. She knew where to go with her problem. She didn't lash out at Penina, which I think would have been perfectly normal. She didn't go and cry and weep to her husband. Hannah went to the Lord. Look at verse 11 and how it begins. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. That's where she went with what was a problem to her. She went to the Lord. She didn't go to another individual. She didn't go to her husband. She didn't go to this woman. She went to the Lord. She knew where to go. She had a right heavenly relationship. Now, in verses 9 through 20, there are a host of things, virtues, which show us that Hannah had a right relationship with heaven. Let me mention just a few of them. She had a passion for God's best. Now, I hesitate over how to say this, uh, and I, I fear that somebody's going to take this the wrong way, and I don't want you to. In Hannah's mind, God's best, in Hannah's mind, God's best was for a woman to have children. And generally speaking, generally speaking, that is God's best. Listen to the Bible. Psalm 113. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Psalm 128, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. 
Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a blessing. Children are a source of happiness. That's what the Bible says. Hannah believed that. And in her mind, God's best for her was that she have children. May I say, a godly mother is never a reluctant mother. A godly mother is never a reluctant mother, but one who sees children as a blessing of the love of God. One who sees them as the divine fulfillment of what God has for her. A godly mother seeks to have children not on a whim, not to hold some man, not to indulge herself, not to prove her womanhood, but because in her heart and in her mind she believes that having, rearing, loving, caring for children is God's best. That's the first reflection of Hannah's right heavenly relationship. Let me mention a few others. Her prayer in verses 9 and 10. Hannah rose in verse 9. After eating and drinking in Shiloh, and Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. What did she do? She prayed. She prayed. Verse 12, if you'll just look over there for a moment, you'll see the words continued. Now, it came about as she continued praying. I'm reminded of a number of others in Scripture who've done likewise. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? They pleaded with God for children. Isaac and Rebekah, Genesis 25, they pleaded with God for children. So did Rachel. Read Genesis 30. And in the New Testament, Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Hannah sought the Lord That was her uh, passion, and that led to her praying. Third aspect here I see is the presentation. Look at verse 11. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maid servant, and remember me, and forget not thy handmaiden, but uh, wilt give thy handmaiden a son. Now notice what she says. I will give him to the Lord, how long? All the days of his life, and a razor shall never come upon his head. She pledged her newborn son, or son-to-be, I should say. She pledged him to the Nazarite vow. You remember the Nazarite vow? That consisted of three particular things. No razor shall come upon his head, no strong drink, and no touching a dead person. There were only two other people in the Bible who were Nazarites for life, Samson and John the Baptist, that Hannah wanted a child to present to the Lord shows that she didn't simply want a child to wave it in front of Penina. By the way, in making this statement in verse 11 to commit her son all the days of his life to the Nazarite vow, It is interesting that in Numbers chapter 30, no woman could do this unless her husband was in agreement. No woman could say, 
of a prospective child, I will commit him to the Lord all the days of his life. Hair shall not be cut, shall not drink, shall not touch a dead body. A woman couldn't do that without her husband's agreement. So behind the scenes, Elkanah was encouraging his wife. A godly mother in this portrait presents her child to God. That was evidence, further evidence of a right relationship to heaven. Mothers, may I say to you that your children belong to the Lord just as much as Samuel belonged to Hannah. But Hannah committed him to the Lord. She gave him to the Lord. That child, may I say, is not yours. It's a heritage from God. He is to be managed by you for the glory of God. You know... Um, the society that we live in, and, and I don't intend, nor do I want to speak necessarily to, to society and, and uh, women's positions that want to influence our society. I simply want to say to you, I believe that the greatest influence a woman can have on society today or in any society, I believe the greatest influence that a, a woman can have on her society is by raising godly children. Women can be president. Women can be senators. Women can be governors. They can be heads of corporations. And a whole host of other things. But they will never have a greater impact on society than when they raise godly. Hannah's heavenly relationship was reflected by her passion for God's best, by her prayer, by her presentation, and fourth, by her purity. Look at verse 12. It came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were not moving, but her voice, her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. So Eli, oh, here's a good priest for you. Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away wine from you. Eli was living proof that a priest could be a rotten judge of character. Hannah wasn't drunk. Notice the reply, verse 15. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And Eli answered and said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What was it that changed Hannah in verse 18? She hadn't eaten. She'd been weeping, but it, it all changes. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What changed her? Her faith in God. Her faith in God. From her purity to her patient faith in God in verse 18. It wasn't because she had a son. That hadn't taken place. 
It wasn't because she was expecting. That was yet to take place. Her countenance was changed because she believed God. She was a woman of patient faith. What was Hannah's response to all of this? If you'll just, for just a moment, turn over in your Bible, or at least if you have the same one I do, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. What was she doing in chapter 2, verse 1? She was praising God. She was praising God. That was her response. This woman had a right husband relationship. She had a right heavenly relationship. And finally, she had a right home relationship. Chapter 1, verse 22. Excuse me, 21. Chapter 1, verse 21. Then the man Elkanah went up with all of his household, that was her too, to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. This has to do with the child. And there are two things that stand out here. One was her dedication to her child. Elkanah, I won't go until he is weaned. And in those days, children were often not weaned until they were in the, in, in the, in the area of two years old. When he's weaned, she said, I will go up. That's giving to her child a real priority. That's genuine. It's a real priority. Hannah was dedicated to loving and to training and to teaching and to caring for her son. And she started that at birth. You know why, at least in my judgment, you know why we have what's called by many the terrible twos today? It's because parents wait too late to begin their training. I sometimes find myself not putting a whole lot of stock in psychologists, but here I do. They tell us that 90% of what a child will be is set by the time he's three years old. How many moms and dads are complicit? But how many moms wait and say, well, I'll get this training going later. Hannah started her training when her son was born. Elkanah was still an encourager. Verse 23, Elkanah said to her husband, excuse me, Elkanah, her husband said to her, let me get this right, do what seems right and best to you. Remain until you have him weaned. Only may the Lord confirm his word. And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Hannah had a home relationship, a right home relationship. And that's displayed in her dedication to her child. But it is also displayed in her dedication of her child. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. 
for this boy I have prayed. And the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. And so I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah was dedicated to her child, and Hannah dedicated her child to the Lord. Now, very quickly, what was the result of all this? All this story that we have briefly looked over, what was the end of all of this? What was the outcome? What was the result of all this? The result was a godly child. All of his life, Samuel ministered to the Lord. What made the difference in his life? A godly mother. A godly mother. Mom, how is it with you today? Do you have a right husband relationship? Do you worship? Together, do you share in love with him? Mom, do you have a right heavenly relationship? Do you have a passion, a deep passion for God's best, marked by your prayer, your purity, your presentation of your children to the Lord, by patient faith, my praise. Mom, do you have a right home relationship? Are you dedicated to your children? And have you dedicated them to the Lord? And if you're here this morning and you haven't yet had children, are you preparing to be a godly mother? And if your children are grown, are you teaching other women how to be godly mothers? Husbands, Are you helping your wives be godly mothers? Or are they struggling to be a godly mother in spite of you? Children, are you honoring your mother? Do that, and the Bible says you will be blessed. Moms, we honor you today. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we are grateful to you for those women through whom you have brought us into this world and for other women who have been instruments of your love and nurture in our lives. Thank you for our mothers who cared for us when we were helpless infants, who gave to us our very first impressions of the love of God. Lord, we pray today for those mothers of growing children. Give them an added measure of faith and of patience. Give to them discernment to see the unique treasure in each of their children. Give them wisdom to prepare their children for a life in this complicated world. Help those mothers who work outside the home to balance the many demands on their time and oversee a healthy family. Be near to those who must raise children alone. Give to them the added measure of love, of stamina, of grace, and of wisdom. 
We pray for those women who want to be mothers but cannot. We thank you for the abundance of love that you have poured into their hearts. Direct their steps, we pray, to someone who needs that love as desperately as they need to give it. For every mother, we ask, O God, that you would supply her needs, that you would refresh her spirit this Lord's Day, this Mother's Day, and help us to communicate to them just how much they mean to us. We ask these favors in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Again, a very heartfelt and sincere, happy Mother's Day. We honor you and we honor the dignity of womanhood on this day. So many of our hymns have words that are just magnificent, full of truth and meaning bring joy to our hearts in singing and encouragement to our souls in the doing of them. To me, this hymn that we've just sung stands toward the head of that list. Those are great requests. Make a great prayer. I hope you will not wait until Father's Day to think about those words again. We perhaps will sing it again on Father's Day. But don't wait for that. In your mind... Let those words roll through that we have just sung and ask God to make them so in our lives and in our home. Again, moms, we honor you. And today, for every mother who is here, just as a very, very small token as you leave this morning, uh, we have for you a carnation. Now, traditionally, carnations were given by a lady with the name of Jarvis uh, many, many years ago. And today, uh, I've had, when we were getting these carnations, we've had suggested uh, from florists, uh, Pastor, today it's more often than not roses. And I'm a pessimist about some things. I know the difference between roses and carnations. But traditionally, it's carnations. And I'm very much a traditionalist. So, ladies, there's a carnation for each mom who's here today. God bless you. Curtis Holloman comes to dismiss us with prayer. And we're going to sing, God be with you till we meet again. And make that personal. Think about somebody. Don't just mouth words. God be with you. Think of somebody when you say those words. Two young ladies are going to join me and we're going to see that moms get the carnations. Curtis? Will you bow and pray with me? Father, we have gathered to worship and to praise you. I pray our efforts have pleased you. Thank you for our mothers, past and present, for Christian homes that mothers have been responsible. Father, our mission of the week is Baptist Bid Missions. Our own James and Lauren Peavy are preparing to go and to work, to work and to serve in this mission in Dominican Republic. Father, I pray for them. I pray for their efforts as they go through deportation and, 
and raising funds and support. Uh, they're also going through an educational program where they are learning the Spanish language. I pray for endurance there. <clears throat> I just ask that you protect them and their families, that you send them, that you will be pleased, and that your work will be done. <clears throat> Father, our prayer list is very extensive today. Many names on it. But there's a blessing there. There's many of those names are here with us today. I thank you for that. I thank you for healing. I thank you for encouragement. I pray that you continue to do this for these, that um, they may continue to heal and, and to, to be in our, our midst. Father, I pray for churches and church leaders for this country. Our country is in shambles when it comes to, to you and to our dedication to, to you and your teachings. I just pray for strong churches, for strong pastors, for strong leaders, for strong people in the church. Father, I also pray for the families of those two men that were killed in, in Jamaica. I pray that you'll comfort them. They're probably answers that they'll never receive, but I pray that you just lay things on their hearts that will comfort them and give them peace. <clears throat> the song writer this morning reminds us that uh, of the love of Calvary. I pray that as we leave here, that you will send us out with a challenge to share that love with, with others. Just lead and guide and direct us and bring us back together again next week in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>